0: Institute Innovation Spotlight, a new podcast series designed to bring you commentary and analysis on leading education systems change. My name is Matthew Shea, and joining me is Courtney Belolan. If you recognize our voices, it's because we manage the Voices Hub podcast studio every year at the annual symposium, which was formerly known as the INACOL Symposium. We also host our own podcast, Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney, and we've joined forces with the Aurora Institute to host this very special series.
1: So Matt, the Aurora Institute is well-known for producing some of the field's most important reports, research, and issue briefs on personalized competency-based education.
0: Yeah, all things education and innovation.
1: So with the introduction of this podcast, the Institute is adding a new way to share the latest thinking in education innovation, new directions in the field, and deep dives into the field's most pressing issues.
0: This series, the Innovation Spotlight, is also here by popular demand. It's an answer to a frequent request that the Institute gets to provide expertise, collaborate with the field, and to host conversations on tough subjects.
1: For many years now, the Aurora Institute, formerly known as INACOL, has advocated for whole systems change in our approach to teaching and learning in K-12 education.
0: That's right, our approach to public education really hasn't changed much since its industrial age beginnings more than 100 years ago. Mm. Students sitting in rows, teachers standing and delivering lectures, high-stakes assessments, A to F grades that don't tell you a lot about what students know and can do, and lots of rules made up to ensure efficiency and order.
1: Yes, uh, but not a whole lot of thinking about how individual learning and mastery of concepts really are for everyone. That's why the Institute, we as educators, and a whole field has emerged to challenge our education to become more student-centered. We're advocating specifically for personalized competency-based education.
0: Now, we've been working at Education Innovation for years, and we use a lot of different kinds of terminology to describe our work, Mm -hmm. but personalized competency-based education is really the work of entire communities, parents and students, teachers and administrators, and policymakers at the local, state, and national levels.
1: So this podcast is all about unpacking what competency-based education is, why it's important, and we'll be sharing some updates to the field definition. Here to talk with us about it is the Aurora Institute's research director, Dr. Elliot Levine.
0: Elliot also leads the Institute's competency works initiative and writes frequent blogs about personalized schools he's visited around the country and important developments in the field. He's been with the Aurora Institute for a year, and before that, he spent 20 years doing education reform work as a researcher at UMass and Harvard, as the author of a book about the first school in the big picture learning network, and he was a classroom teacher for seven years at two public high schools doing great work in personalized
2: learning. Welcome, Elliot. Thanks, it's great to talk with you. Uh, And also, I just wanted to start out by saying thanks so much for your podcasts. Uh, it's been a real asset for the field to have all of your great podcasts about personalized learning.
0: Well, thank you very much, Elliot. Uh, let's just jump right in. Sounds good. Okay, so the big news is that after creating a field unifying definition of competency-based education back in 2011, the field led by the Aurora Institute has come together to update the definition. Is that right?
2: That's right. So the Aurora Institute hosts the Competency Works Initiative. And what we do is develop various types of research and knowledge that are all focused on competency-based education. We also have the privilege of working with many leaders in the field who have deep insights from coming at this work from many different angles. Um, And we all agreed that we needed to expand and improve on the definition to reflect new developments in the field and new knowledge that had been developed over the past 10 years or so of doing the work, and also important challenges that the field still needs to address. So in a few weeks, in mid-November, the Aurora Institute will be publishing a report that has the updated definition, plus various supporting materials to help people understand the definition and to put it in context, and also to take action based on where the field is today and what needs to happen next. I also wanna say, uh, before we get into that, that something that's really important to our organization is to define what we're talking about as clearly as possible. uh, Because these are complicated topics and and they have really important impacts on students' lives. And our definition of competency-based education, we know, goes out to a wide variety of stakeholders who translate them into actual practice in schools and who integrate them into state policies and district policies. So we just think we need to be really clear to support everyone who's involved in education to make good decisions as they work hard to improve their schools.
0: Okay, we'll be sure to look to inacall.org to download that report. For a minute, would you take us back to 2011 and give us the original definition and then maybe walk us through what the new definition is?
2: Sure. So um, in 2011, more than 100 uh, education leaders came together for what was called the first national summit on K-12 competency-based education. And that summit included leaders from schools and school districts, uh, nonprofits, state departments of education, and also foundations that were focused on education reform. And We came together there because we knew that there were pockets of innovation happening all around the country, and we wanted to bring everyone together to share their expertise. And what came out of it was a set of strategies to advance the field of competency-based education and to build the infrastructure of the field. The meeting was focused on establishing a working definition. Of competency based education, uh, which was important to create coherence in a field that at that time went by many different names. It really still does. Different places call it proficiency based, mastery based, standards based, and the Aurora Institute calls it uh, competency based. So when we were trying to make the case for changing the traditional system to parents or policymakers or anyone else, We thought it was really important to have a single definition of what we were talking about that everybody could use. And at that point, a definition didn't exist yet because back then in in 2012, when Competency Works was founded, there were really only, at most, a handful of publications that talked about what this work is and what it all means.
0: And out of that first field building meeting came the first working definition of what competency-based education is. And that's been in use until now. It's embedded in legislation across the country as school districts embrace new models of the education. Uh, so what was that definition?
2: So the, the original definition had five points and they're short, but they they're complicated. They're full of big ideas that have deep implications for how schools do education. So let me just start by quickly uh, reading the five points and then we can talk about them. First, students advance upon demonstrated mastery. Second, competencies include explicit, measurable, transferable learning objectives that empower students. Number three, assessment is meaningful and a positive learning experience for students. Fourth, Students receive timely, differentiated support based on their individual learning needs. And finally, learning outcomes emphasize competencies that include application and creation of knowledge, along with the development of important skills and dispositions. So that's the, that's the five points of the original definition.
0: Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. Why was it important to put this new definition out into the world of American education?
2: We thought it was important because, as I think we all know, the traditional system isn't working well for a lot of students. And even students who are doing well by traditional measures could experience much deeper learning if we approached education in this different way. So the idea behind competency-based education is How do we enable all students to succeed? And how do teaching and learning need to be transformed to make that happen? So why don't I talk a little bit about how competency-based education is different from what's happening in traditional K-12 schools. So first of all, we know that different people have different strengths and weaknesses, and some learning comes to us easily and quickly. And in, in other areas, we have to work harder or we have to work longer. And the traditional system just doesn't account for that. And it tries to move all students along at the same pace, regardless of their personal strengths and challenges, and regardless of their interests. And we also know that many students are passed on from one grade level to the next, even when they haven't learned the material nearly deeply enough to be successful at the next grade level or the one after that. And we know that in far too many cases the standard to get passed on to that next level is mostly that students have sat in a chair in a classroom for 180 days or whatever and shown what in many cases is some very minimal level of output that might be called a C or a D or a D minus so we refer to that traditional system as a system that's based on seat time and the problem is that the student may have earned a credit but that doesn't really tell us very much about what the student knows. And a really problematic part of that approach is that it's caused a terrible equity problem where students from traditionally marginalized groups are getting passed through the system deeply unprepared, not only for next year, but for life after graduation. So, in contrast, in a competency based system, students have to demonstrate that they know the material and can apply it in new contexts, in different contexts, with different knowledge and so on. And a competency-based system holds all students to the same high standards. But it's not just about high standards, it's also about high supports. So students receive the supports they need if they're not moving ahead at a pace that will bring them to graduation at around age 18. For most students and the learning is much more personalized so they don't all need to move through it at the same pace or show what they've learned in the same way and just a couple more things i'll say is we call it competency-based education because the material is organized around competencies which tend to be bigger chunks of learning than the usual state standards and that talk about what students know what students can do And then those larger competencies are broken down into learning targets, which are more atomistic, smaller pieces of information that unpack the larger parts of the competency. And in competency-based systems, the assessments are much more varied, uh, which we'll talk more about later, I'm sure.
0: That is a very profound way of thinking about education. A lot of those things that, that you just mentioned seem so natural and obvious. But our system is not really designed to do all of those things or really many of those things at all.
2: Right. Well, we agree. And and the field of competency-based education sees it the same way. But we do know that even though it's really different, it is possible to do education in the ways that I was just describing because there are schools all over the country that are doing it right now. And there are many schools that are working very hard and moving in the direction of competency-based practice. We also know that, that there are schools all over the world who have been doing this work much longer than we've been doing it in the United States. There's obviously a lot that we can learn from them about how to do it and prepare our students better. And it's also worth saying that although our primary motivation is to ensure every student's well-being, We do know that much of the discourse around education in this country is driven by how it'll impact our economy. And we believe that implementing competency-based education will disrupt some of the deep inequities in our system. And at the same time, that will help students receive a better education. And that will be helpful for our country's productivity and economy.
0: Given that the definition that you have just spoken about has been adopted by so many schools and districts and policymakers are using
2: that definition, why change it? It's been eight years since the original working definition was created in 2011. And in recent years, we were getting feedback from across the field that was making it clear that the definition needed to reflect a deeper understanding of many developments in the field and many key issues that weren't represented in the original definition. We also felt that we needed to respond to some common misconceptions in the field that have really become quite prominent, such as that competency-based education could be reduced to students taking online courses at their own pace, or that competency-based education could be reduced to students moving on their own through a checklist of shallow learning objectives. So that was the primary reason for updating the definition. And the new definition was developed with a great amount of of really insightful input from leaders in the field who were invited to attend an event similar to the the one where the original definition was developed. This was called, again, the National Summit on K-12 Competency-Based Education. It took place in 2017. And after that summit, we also received great help and input from a technical advisory group of 40 experts in the field and also from several funders who supported this work, who who we deeply appreciate.
0: So we love that this has been such an open collaborative process. Although the Aurora Institute has played a key role as a convener and thought leader, you're really amplifying the voices of school leaders and experts who've been doing this work for many years. So there's a new definition. Let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit.
2: Uh, sure, it has seven parts compared to five in the old one. And how about if we just take a brief look at each part? Sounds good to me. All right, so the first part is students are empowered daily to make important decisions about their learning experiences, how they will create and apply knowledge and how they will demonstrate their learning. So this is one of the three elements of the new definition that are entirely new. This wasn't in the old definition and it represents a dramatic change to what would be happening in schools. If you think about students being empowered daily to make important decisions about their learning experiences and that idea of daily and Important decisions reflects an understanding from practitioners and from researchers that students are much more deeply engaged when they're able to have some voice and choice about how and when and where they learn and even to some extent when they have some choice about what they learn and I'll also add that a really important topic to discuss for this part of the definition and for, for everything we're discussing today is How will teachers have the time and the pedagogical knowledge to put these types of changes into practice? I was a public high school teacher for seven years in schools that were doing deeply personalized work with students along these lines. And I know that we need to focus on helping teachers build that capacity, and we need to change the structure of schools deeply to support these types of changes. So I know that's not our focus. in in the podcast today, but I want to assure people who are listening that there are an increasing number of resources out there to support this work that are being developed by the Aurora Institute and many other great organizations. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about those resources later in the podcast, but I just wanted to acknowledge that this sounds complicated and that there are a lot of people working hard to help educators in schools figure out how to do this work. That was one thing I was just going to ask
0: you about was that when you have, when you're talking about students being empowered daily, that seems a little scary. And my first question as a teacher would be, well, how do I do that? And then you came to the part about resources. And I think that will alleviate some of the apprehension that teachers and educators will have that there are not only new definitions and new ways to do things, but here are the supports and how you can actually do that with our learners. I think that's very exciting and will will help alleviate some of that stress of this new definition.
2: Absolutely, and, and, and you'll see, I mean, anyone who goes to the resources that we'll be talking about later uh, pr- participates in some of the online, Uh, courses that are available, the many great conferences that are offered around the country, including the Aurora Institute's annual symposium, we'll see that a lot of people are doing this work and that learning how to do it is a multi-year process where people are just always moving towards a higher level of implementation as they transition from more traditional practice to newer practices.
0: I think that's a great way to, to describe that. Uh, Let's go on to our second piece of the definition.
2: Uh, Sure, so the second part is that assessment is a meaningful, positive, and empowering learning experience for students that yields timely, relevant, and actionable evidence. Some of the big differences between assessment in a traditional system and a competency-based system include a much higher focus on formative feedback so that students and teachers can continue to get a sense as they're moving through different pieces of work where the student is, what progress they're making, and what supports they need. Then the formative assessments are balanced by summative assessments and a big difference there is that there are a variety of summative assessments as well some of which can be proposed by the students. That's part of the student agency piece that that we were talking about a minute ago, but also that students have multiple opportunities to demonstrate mastery. And that has huge implications because that might mean that, oh, I've learned 80% of the material. I don't have to retake the whole course. I might just work harder on the parts that I don't know yet and then have another opportunity to demonstrate mastery and summative assessments on those. Another big difference is a greater focus on performance-based assessment. So it's not just all pencil and paper tests. It might be exhibitions. It might be reviews of portfolios. It might be internships where you're demonstrating products of the work that you've completed and associating those with various competencies that you've proposed to meet through that particular piece of evidence. And and just one other thing I'll say, as far as the, the timely and relevant piece, is that the traditional system has the problem that students often don't get feedback quickly enough to be able to understand what they still need to learn and how they can move forward without spinning their wheels for a long period of time. or moving on to an area where they just don't have the knowledge to move on but that's what the class has done
0: so friday test day may be a thing of the past for all of our kids
2: (laughs) well definitely and i'll say that you know competency-based education doesn't say that you can't have tests it just says that you need to have a balanced system of assessments where there are multiple ways and multiple opportunities for students to demonstrate mastery.
0: All right, let's move on to our third
2: piece. Uh, This one is that students receive timely differentiated support based on their individual learning needs. And one important difference there in a competency-based system is all students receive timely and differentiated supports, not just the students who are most challenged or the students who are most advanced, which is what mostly happens in traditional schools, that really implies a higher level of support than exists currently. And there are different ways that schools make that possible. There's the usual ways of staying after school, arriving early, coming in the summer and so on, but a lot of it is structured into the school day, such as through providing flex time, whole periods of the day in in many schools, when students can go and work with the teachers they need to get help from or teachers can sign up specific students to come work with them Um, and again that reduces the amount of time that students spend being stalled and not making progress.
0: I think that's a great way to emphasize that it's about all students and not just the ones uh, as you say who are the most challenged or the most advanced those are the ones we tend to think of the most that we need to do something different for these kids but if once we talk about all kids that really implies a a different structure and how are we going to meet those needs when you're meeting a hundred kids instead of 20 to throw out some numbers uh it implies a lot bigger strategies that are need to happen in schools these days
2: absolutely all right so the fourth point is that students progress based on evidence of mastery not seat time and we already talked about this earlier but again This is a huge equity issue uh, where students aren't just getting passed on because they earned a D, but they haven't learned what they need to know. But it also means that students who have already demonstrated a deep level of mastery of a competency don't need to spend more time on it if they're ready to move on to another topic. That also is relevant to a large percentage of students who we know can get disengaged from school when they're bored or they don't feel challenged. Um, And this part of the definition helps those students too. Part five of the definition is that students learn actively using different pathways and varied pacing. And this is another one of the new elements that wasn't in the old definition. Before talking about them too much, it's important to to point out that there are many people in the education world who think that competency-based education is just this one thing that competency-based education is just varied pacing. And varied pacing is an essential element of competency-based education, but I hope that our discussion is making it clear that that's just one element, and that there's much more to it. In competency-based schools, pacing is no longer uniform, and that means that students who are proficient in certain standards can move ahead to the next work, or they can, go deeper into the area that they're working on now. It also doesn't mean that there is only a single pathway and all students are just going through that same pathway at different speeds. It's also important to point out that this isn't about tracking and it isn't about students being able to go at whatever speed they want. The school still has a responsibility to make sure that students are making adequate progress in order to graduate by around age 18 and if that's not happening, the school needs to look at what's going on and understand if the student needs some additional supports. A little bit more about, diff- about students being able to progress through different pathways, it's just that it's true that many students will go through experiences in common, but it's also the case that students can have personalized experiences that reflect their unique needs and strengths and interests and also that they don't need to go through the same experiences in the same order. I've been to schools where students might be in grade two in math and grade five in reading, and it works well in a very different type of school structure.
0: I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about a competency-based school or a personalized school, Is that kids get to do whatever they want whenever they want. I talk in my schools all the time about you're still the adults in the room and those kids need to be moving forward. It's not just they can do whatever they feel like doing all the time so I'm glad that this is part of it and I'm glad it's been explained and I am very glad that it is part of the new definition of what competency based education can be.
2: Well and I'll also say going back to the point the first point in the definition about student agency and making important decisions daily about their education, part of that is a gradual development over grades K through 12 of students developing that internalized motivation that's going to help propel them forward, recognize what they need to do, and that's a key adjunct to the discussion about pacing.
0: I would agree. Let's go on to our sixth part of the definition.
2: The sixth part is... Strategies to ensure equity for all students are embedded in the culture, structure, and pedagogy of schools and education systems. This is the third and last of the new elements that weren't in the old definition and that we've talked about equity a couple times already, but I'll say that competency-based education has always been driven by the need for educational equity, but we also know that there's still a lot of inequity and that we have a long way to go to address that. And we know that students from traditionally marginalized groups, on average, have very different opportunities and very different outcomes. So adding this element to the definition highlights the urgency of moving faster in making these deep changes to the structure and the culture and the pedagogy of schools to achieve equitable student outcomes.
0: And our seventh and final part of the definition.
2: Uh, So the final part is rigorous, common expectations for learning, knowledge, skills, and dispositions are explicit, transparent, measurable, and transferable. And obviously there's a lot packed into that sentence. The the first part about knowledge, skills, and dispositions reflects that competency-based education focuses on a broader set of outcomes than traditional education that prepare students better for college and career and lifelong learning. In addition to academic outcomes, uh, we mentioned their transferable skills, which involve applying your knowledge and also lifelong learning skills, um, which are what students need to manage their learning. Some of these are like social emotional skills, perseverance, time management, and many others. Another feature of that part of the definition is that the expectations of what students should learn need to be transparent. And that is not typical in the traditional system. And it's certainly not required in the traditional system, but it's really important for students to be able to take ownership of their learning and also for adults in the school and parents or guardians at home to be able to see what's working and the progress the student is making and what supports they might need.
0: So there's quite a bit new in that definition, but also many parts of the old definition have been retained. Absolutely. So we know that by now, competency-based education has really grown as a field, to the point that there are hundreds of publications, thousands of blog posts, lots of support organizations and conferences and websites and more. It must have been really challenging to boil it all down to just those seven points. Can you talk a little bit more about how you managed and thought about that process? Mm
2: -hmm. Sure. So first of all, it was clear to us that practitioners and policymakers do need a concise definition of competency-based education, which they can use to communicate clearly with stakeholders and that they can use for taking action. But we also knew that fully creating a competency-based education system would need some more details to help understand what the different parts of the definition meant. In the report, after we provide the definition, there are a few more sections that provide some belief statements, some answers to frequently asked questions, and some common misconceptions about competency-based education. Just to start by talking about the belief statements, the first one is that competency-based education is a replacement of the systems, structures, and pedagogies of the traditional system. So right at the beginning there, we're, we're putting it out that this is not about tinkering around the edges. It's about a major overhaul of the traditional system. Uh, the next three belief statements are all about equity. For example, we say that equity is a central goal of advancing competency-based education systems and that communities that aspire to achieve equity must work toward implementing all elements of a competency-based education system. So again, we're saying very clearly that equity is a central and essential goal. I won't go through all of the belief statements uh, because we've touched on some of them earlier, but I'll just mention briefly two others. Um, One is that learning happens anytime and anywhere. And this reflects the understanding that students are always learning wherever they are Uh, and that schools need to stop only recognizing the learning that happens in the school building Uh, and in fact that schools need to take on a greater role in helping students access all of the great learning opportunities that are available outside the school building and outside school hours and also to be giving students credit for ways that they've demonstrated competencies outside the school building and the last belief statement i'll mention is that deeper learning is collaborative and socially embedded. And this one is there to make it really clear that, first of all, we're promoting deeper learning, not just rapid memorization and often rapid forgetting of low level facts, uh, which there's too much of now in traditional education, um, but we're also promoting deeper engagement and application and performance of knowledge and skills, but also that it's collaborative and socially embedded with students working closely with other students and with adults, and students aren't just engaging with textbooks or online courses or or other isolated ways of, of learning. We also noticed
0: that the definition has a lot of complex, nuanced words in it like meaningful assessment and transferable skills And different pathways. We all know that these terms can mean lots of different things to different people, so how can people who are using this definition understand what you mean by these
2: terms? Well as I mentioned earlier, at the Aurora Institute we think it's really important to define what we're talking about clearly because these are complicated topics and how we put them into practice has major implications for students' lives. So in the report, Um, One of the other pieces is an FAQ section that has answers to some of the questions that people most often ask about various ideas in the definition. For example, we provide two definitions of the term equity from the National Equity Project and the Great Schools Partnership. And we also explain some of the complicated terms such as transferable, different pathways, varied pacing, and several others. And the final FAQ talks about what students will experience in a competency-based school.
0: So, Elliot, this is a lot of information that we've gone over in this podcast. Educators and school leaders can really dig into this new definition and the new report and begin formulating their approach to student-centered learning. So what else should we know about this?
2: Uh, The last part of the report that I'll mention, there's a section that hyperlinks to about 30 different resources that readers can go to to dig deeper into any of the issues raised in the report. Um, You can also go to competencyworks.org or inacol.org and find literally thousands of blog posts from the past several years that you can search and find great information on all of the topics in the report. Uh, And the last thing I'll mention is that you can find the full report at those same two websites which again are inacol.org and competencyworks.org. We have changed our name very recently to the Aurora Institute, but our new website is still being developed. So in the meantime, people can go to those other two websites as they always have and look under resources to find the new report. Elliot,
0: thank you very much for all the information today. It seems like a lot, but there are a lot of resources to help support
2: educators in their transformation to student-centered learning. Matt, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this podcast.
1: As you've no doubt noticed, this podcast is now called the Aurora Institute Innovation Spotlight. Inacol changed its name.
0: Yeah, they made the announcement at the 2019 Inacol Symposium, and we're delighted to watch this evolution in the organization's journey.
1: If you'd like to learn more about the Aurora Institute, just head to the inacall.org website, and there at the top of the page, you'll find a link to more information about the change.
0: And really exciting news is that in our next episode, we'll be talking with Susan Patrick, the president and CEO of the Aurora Institute, who will share in detail about the rebranding. So stay tuned.